shout out to all the paleontologists out there. This episode is brought to you by Paleontologists of America. Is that a thing? Probably. Yeah, honestly. DC has everything. There's a cause for everything. Yeah. A non-profit for everything. My internship professor, his like day job is working for some random association. And like like think that like weird clique of people has an entire like group of like lobbyists and like people like working for their interests exactly. in Washington. It's like when we refer to interest groups, like interest groups have become so widespread. Yeah. It scares me. Yeah. And yet how many think tanks are there? Mm-hmm. When you compare the two I, I, I wanna do more research into like the like how widespread think tanks are because right. I don't think I know the extent of their role in Washington. Yeah, but which which is getting more money? Probably interest groups. Especially when you account for, like, the NRA. Yeah. League of Conservation Voters. Right, yep. Moms and Man, like, every town. Mm-hmm. Like, they have teams of... Oh, man, dude. We should, like, do a comparative... We should, like, do some research on that and, like, compare the two. Mm-hmm. Which one gets more. Yeah. I, I definitely think that interest groups do. Yeah. Because, like, lobbying... Lob- yeah, exactly. Lobbying, like when I say interest groups, like that generally involves right. the primary role of interest groups is to lobby. Yep. So they have a team of you know lawyers from Steptoe, that giant firm. But doesn't that show firm. like if that is the case, doesn't that show a failure of sort of our political system as it relates to our economic system? Mm-hmm. That depends on your role. Like, on what you believe the role of is money speech. Because if you say that money is speech... No, but in your opinion. Well, first, but, like, if you say that money is speech, yeah. then, like, it's them taking advantage of collective monies to invest in someone who's, like, a professional at being a voice in democracy. Right? Like, I hire someone who, is, who has navigated democracy well. So, like, if you believe that money has a role in speech, then it's beautiful. But why would you believe that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, do, I do don't the people in, who earned more I, money, like, deserve a louder voice? I don't know. Because there's no question that it gives you a louder voice. It does. I believe in, like, limits on it. But, like... This is a tough one for me. It's a serious moral dilemma for me. Yeah, I don't know why it should... Why money should play a role in how loud your voice is in a democracy. But, like, it's your money. So why can't you use it for something you believe in? Just like charities. Like, like, we let you give as much as you want to charity. You're, like, making an investment in it. So why can't you make an investment in, like, that cause that you believe in? You're a Democratic candidate. Like, when I give my $10 a month to whoever, 
like really how different is that so you just think there should be like a limit on it yes you don't want to see it yes i even believe the fec limits are sometimes too much really because when you think about it it really ends up being that everyone can donate like shit maybe like 10 10 grand because you can give once in a primary even if you don't have a primary opponent and then you can give once again in their general election campaign and then your spouse can give them both of those and then any family members even dependents who are over 18 can give again so it's even more than 10 grand like it adds up and that's what they do like all the time like so what's the point of a uh, 1700 whatever the limit is if it if you can easily get around that but like you know these these when you talk about campaign financing i mean last time we talked about that as one of the bigger issues out there we're talking about it from a different perspective now though but what, what i mean it's all connected yeah it is I'm just saying, like, this is a different issue. Well, it, it comes down to how, how everyone's voice is represented in democracy. Yeah. And what someone's voice is worth and long, how, like, where it should be. As long as we do adopt this idea of, like, capitalism, as long as, like, we embrace that as the system we're in, that's a direct contradiction of that. But why should politics adhere to the, to that economic system? Because I think it's what we embrace still. No, it's we, like an well, we embrace part it. Of our we government. embrace it from a market perspective. We reap the economic benefits of that. But that doesn't mean you can't put controls on it. We shouldn't be working for the market. The market like, should be working for us. But Eddie, like we we let it we let unlimited amounts go into other forms of speech, like. Like, think about the people who invest in media companies, like the big players in media companies. Like, they get to push their agenda as much as they want But then why should that apply to our government that we all depend because on? Because it's, like, of the people. So, like, it, it's your government. Why don't you get to invest in it the way you believe? Because it gives you a louder voice than other people. That's what I'm saying. Like, you acquired the resources in our capitalistic society to, like amplify your voice that is a like that is something but do they you deserve purchase. that louder voice that's a, a like a that's a fundamental but question. that's like, important that's so much that's deeper. important for it that's a very i think that's an important aspect of it like a really reckoning with that idea this podcast like like think about it we're putting like our view think about how far the spectrum is shifting regularly especially on like social issues we are like writing our opinions into stone right now and like for better or worse one day these views might be so like unwoke well i've already undergone a significant oh yeah good point you know from the very early episodes so it's already have it's already been enshrined in that way yeah but like i don't mind that i i i would like like to go back and like 
listen yeah. to the old episodes to hear how much we've changed because we've talked about similar things yeah you know year after year and i think our both of our political views have changed pretty drastically yeah how would you say yours have because i mean i think we like align on a lot of things but you know you're st- you seem like a bit more skeptical i think uh, i'm the more cynical one of the two of us yeah i do and, like, I believe in the institutions more. Yes. But, like, I I don't want to say I've, like, moved to the right, but I've moved to the more cynical and pragmatic, which I guess might, some might view as to the right. Like, I believe, <laughs> my boss says this a lot, the way to the left is through the center. And there's a lot of ways to, like, interpret that. Yeah. But, like, to me, that means, like, take a more, like, let's inch to the left approach. Even if we have the political power to do more. Like, don't swing the pendulum too far to the left. Because it's bound to have an equal reaction. Yeah. yeah I think, And I think a lot of people are like that. I mean, people want to see injustice is alleviated in society obviously but they're also skeptical of radical change at the same time so i mean i think there are parts of the democratic party that still represent that but the louder voices now i mean not the majority i wouldn't even say the majority of the democratic party at this point because i think most of them are that but the people who are getting the spotlight right now are the radical change people. I think those people always exist. But, like, it catches on better in certain political climates. So, like, I think we have rises and falls. Falls? Rises and declining, I don't know. In, in the political, or, or like in the accept, um, in the progressiveness of the liberal party, you know? Like, well, yeah, but that, but that was like, so do you think, you think radical change is possible though? FDR. Exactly. That's what, that was going to be my next point. Like there, sometimes and the Reagan situation. And to the right. Well, yeah, but so we're approaching a situation that calls for FDR-like solutions. But it's so, it just doesn't, it's so counterintuitive that like people aren't catching on to that, I don't think. I mean, we're approaching, I mean, I think, you know, Andrew Yang, like we've talked about him before, I think he, I think he understands that. But the problems that we're gonna be encountering economically, like call for those kind of radical measures that's an opinion yes and i kind of agree with it but it is just an opinion no yeah like, no, not obviously like but like it's almost like there's a lot of experiments that can happen at a given time and yeah. like i think right now that's the one that's looking most likely to succeed um but you have to find it like a, a voice for it that can sell it properly yeah. and there are a lot of good ones right now like AOC inspires a group of people who may have been somewhat apathetic and some who may have not called themselves Democrats. Yeah. Um, 
Bernie does get those people too, and there's a whole. But is this is this just like a symptom of a two party system not oh not capturing everyone? I mean, there's no way it can. Yeah. Because there's a myriad of all you have to do is look at a country with proportional representation, and you see how many different viewpoints there are that pop that significant populations can hold, <coughs> and. I mean, that exists here. Yeah. It's just cloaked in these two parties that can't possibly capture all of those people. Yeah. Um. And those people might be the ones who decide elections. That's kind of the objective in every election, though, is to, like, like we have these cliques of people who cling to parties, but then there are some cliques that just kind of float in between the two. And there's, like, the two theories in politics. Do you, you know, excite the people who fall in the closely aligned but might not turn out? Or do you focus on trying to attract those cliques? And it's hard to do both. But some people pull it off. Obama pulled it off. And then you see, like, what's really weird to me is when you see the the mainstream parties, the Republicans, the Democrats, when they tango with the extreme ends of 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 politics yeah like the republican party like the the way they associate dissociate with like the alt-right like the extreme end yeah it's strange because you can tell that some of them like are looking to like secure their votes yeah like <laughs> they, they also have say to... just enough unwoke shit that like <laughs> they can keep those people happy exactly too. yeah and then you have on, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not equalizing these two, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying it exists on both sides because with Democrats, like, not for refusing to condemn, like, Antifa or something yeah. like that, um, you know, it's it's like a, it's just like a wink and a nod to the people at the very extreme ends, like, you know, and whether or not that actually manifests in policy is one thing, you know, but I don't know if there's any question about that. Um But, um, yeah. It comes and goes, their willingness to pander to them, mm-hmm. it varies by the candidate, but, like, we're talking overall. It comes and goes in waves. Yes. Like, right now, they're very willing to pander to them. In fact, like... But it's a self-reinforcing thing. Like, the think about, like, the immigration debate and how now, for most conservative voices that are at top tier right now, that's one of their main issues, immigration. They're all talking about immigration, and they're pushing that. That was not the main concern of Republicans throughout the party's history. Yeah. And now it's the number one issue. Um, so you, you have this, cha- like, where the, the far end is influencing by, it's reinforcing the mainstream. Yeah. And then the mainstream just bec- like starts to embody that. They weaponized the issue. Like, okay, think about, well, was it 2018? I, I want to say it was 2017 or 2018, the caravan. Oh, my God. We yeah. talked about, I think, When's on the When's the drive. caravan coming? <laughs> or, didn't we talk about that when we were like, driving from the concert or something? 
Yeah. At some point we talked about, and I was like, I forgot about the caravan. Yeah. Like, yep. like the caravan was going to end this country as we know it. Yeah, everyone was freaking the fuck it out. It was like a central election issue. You know, when you asked yeah, Republicans... What, yeah, what will you do about issue? the caravan? Yeah, but in, like, when you polled Republicans, what was their most important issue? The caravan. <laughs> and what's the gang, MS-13? Yep. Yep. <sighs> what the hell? But Dude, that, George Bush, like, that was not the case. No, absolutely not. But And that's... Oh, man. Well, it, it's crazy because it, Republicans have favored immigration in the past for economic reasons. Um, but, you know, it, it seems like something, and due to economic reasons now, like the anxiety, they've just, they've adopted this far-right notion of attributing to, to immigration. Theory. Okay. There was an overall strategy when Obama won, and they said, because of demographic changes... We can no longer win on the fiscal issues and the fiscal issues alone. Because that's where they had a majority of American support. The the taxes, yep. you know, red tape, small, small demo- business. Yeah. And demographic changes said, holy shit, we can't win based on that anymore. And then they said, we have to pander to these ideological far-right people who may have not been inspired... And, like, so, like, weaponizing those issues like abortion, uh, religion, immigration. And you can maybe win some of those independents back who don't necessarily agree with Democrats on, you know, quote-unquote open borders, blah, blah, blah. So, like, because it was an immediate shift. And I almost think Trump was just most, he saw the climate and said, the wall, the wall. That's how you win those people. He ran on the wall. Like, there were so many things he talked about, but what did it come down to? The wall. Yeah. I mean, that was how he, he sold it. He could sell it in one word. So... Uh, the but, messaging, he was king. Yeah, but where does... You didn't mention racism in there. And I'm wondering if you think how much of a role that played. Because I think that they might be just turning to that as as a way as sort of a you know death throes of a of a dying off ideology mm-hmm. you're asking me yeah <laughs> um yeah I, I don't want to believe that that was like planned like I, I i believe there was probably like a like an actual like strategy written out like we need to energize these people we need to mobilize mm-hmm. these people I think the they racism, just saw that it worked. The racism was the infiltration of the party by people like Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller. They saw, like, they saw an opportunity. Because they knew what their audience was and how significant it was. Yeah. But, I yeah, no, I totally agree. And as far as the Republicans who have just sort of latched onto the immigration debate in that way, I don't think that they've been influenced by the alt-right. I just think that they've seen that it works. Yeah. Like, that they can get a huge response from bringing up these issues. And so, in that way, they're sort of implicitly supporting that yeah. that core. But that's because the that core supports Trump, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. So, and right now, like, 
Trump is the one who's defining the political order. But this comes back to the conversation we just had about exactly about loyalty. Yeah, the 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 inconceivable loyalty they have to him that they never showed to Bush, never showed to Bush Senior. Honestly, some of them didn't even show it to Reagan. Like Reagan did, you know, he had a, a strong coalition, but they are willing to bend over backwards and flip on something that they have always stood for, for Trump. Uh, we talked about Lindsey Graham last time. He is a different, he is like, a, like there's very few issues that he's like still the same on, right? Yeah, but he's, there's been a noticeable change, mm-hmm. like a noticeable change. And it seems like an overnight flip. And a lot of these people, that's what seems to happen. They just get <laughs> entrenched in Trump's spell, and that's it. Is it survival? Like, it, is there... Well, that's it. That just, I mean, that depends on what you think about their motivations. Like, is it purely pragmatic or is it ideological? Like, do they get actually captured by these ideas in the way that all like that his base do i mean a lot of that inspiration i think just comes from who trump is and what he represents as a person i mean he first of all he was one of the most recognizable names in america and always associated with wealth i mean he had a he was known for being a rich guy. That was his thing. Everything was made of gold. He had Trump Tower in New York City. You know, his his show. Um, the Apprentice. Yeah, The Apprentice. Um, all of that. I mean, his whole brand was based around the appearance of wealth. And so I think a lot of people just have always seen him as this big, powerful mogul who embodied the, like, American dream. And... I think a lot of people find that very appealing. And and the people who get enchanted by him do so because they view him as like top tier what it means to be the most powerful, wealthy that you possibly can be. So it's it's really power hungry people yeah. who recognize that as the ultimate ideal. And it's I mean it's super nihilistic when you think about it because they're just completely flipping their entire worldview and sometimes even their um, policy priorities. Like, can you imagine? Like, these people are voting on legislation that's affecting everyone, and for them to to flip around on some of these issues and and just say like, okay, we're just all listening to this guy now. Um, you know, luckily, luckily we have a a opposing congress to yeah to help out with that but it is scary i okay i want to split it into two like first like yeah the fact we have an opposing congress think about what happened today the marie the ambassador lady like if Democrats didn't have the majority, none of this could be happening. The Ukraine stuff would have been a 24-hour news story. 
um, like Democrats would have talked about it and then nothing would have happened. They couldn't start doing anything. No subpoena power. Right. Like, okay, but second, I want to split Republicans into two, though. There's pragmatic people and there's ideologues. Yes. And pragmatic people are the people who we see one by one jumping the ship because they were just on the train, like, kind of tagging along. They never really believed in where it was going. But, like, and they're I think the there's, ones... I think there's still some pragmatists holding on, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. that they jump off one by one. Yeah. Like, some jumped off, like, right around the time Anthony was... Scaramucci. Yeah. <laughs> and some people jumped off immediately. Yeah. Or got kicked off. Oh, yeah. Or got kicked off somewhere along the road. They may have been the fucking conductor. And well, a lot of these people have been used to being the shit in their life on top of Rex everything. Tillerson. And they, well, yeah, yeah. And they come into contact with Trump, and that's an immediate conflict. Yeah. Because Trump is used to being the shit wherever he is. Yeah. And if anyone's going to outshine him in anything, they're, they're gone. Yeah. And, I mean, you're fired. Like, that's his whole thing. So, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, though. I think it's Rachel Maddow who does the, she has the big wall with all of their faces and she X's them out as they leave. Oh, that's funny. From, like, the original crew. Yeah. And there's so few of them. And the one who stands out the most, Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> well, yeah, no, and, um... You know, besides the pragmatic people, the the ideologues to me are the scary ones. They'll never get off the train. Yes. Wherever it's going, they're going. I mean, I I I think we both think of Steve Bannon as the ultimate yeah. uh, example of this. He's laying. He laid the tracks, and Stephen Miller too. Like they set this policy, these policies, and Trump follows. Yeah. They fucking throw him at him, and he picks up on a few. He's like, oh, I like that one. Like, I genuinely believe that they, Stephen Miller walks in there with a six packets of paper, each outlining some policy that he should just run with for the week. You know, yeah. something to just mess up. And he's not going to do them all, but he picks the ones he finds exciting. and So they're laying the tracks on the train. But those people who are on it because of the ideology... And because of Trumpism, not conservatism, Trumpism, yeah, they're never getting off. I guess they're the thirty-seven percent number we talk about a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it, it, I don't think they'll get off until the issues that are important to them get solved. That's the that's the way out. I think. I don't think a lot of them. I mean, obviously, okay. Care so there, there's and within that within that group, that core group. There's one that sees him as the solution to all yep. their problems, and there's those who just fucking love the guy in everything he does. I mean, they they love that he attacks the media. He yep. loves that he attacks all of his enemies. I mean, he just to them he just represents strength in the face of power and the power that has happened to have screwed them over yeah and so to them like that that is enough yeah for them but and and those people will never be convinced otherwise but within that there's also the people who are it's it's desperation and i think there's a there's a difference between the two yeah um i think there are like policy wonks who are looking for specific check boxes like 
Yeah. Like, who actually, like, deep down believe in, like, no immigration. Like, the people who, like, uh, Breitbart, like, deep Breitbart people. Mm-hmm. But then there's the people who just blindly believe in what he's doing. Like, if he says this is a problem and here's the solution, then they're just like, oh, shit, like, he's right. Like, oh, there's a caravan coming? And it's oh, shit. Go- and it's going to take my job? Oh, yeah. shit, he's right. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, no, the, the policy but, but, won't but, but scare you have me. But you have to acknowledge the They're fact... They're Nazis. <laughs> you have to acknowledge the fact that a lot of the stuff that he's talking about to them, is backed up by their own personal experience. They're seeing these businesses close down. They're seeing the factories shut down and be replaced with robots. Like, they're, they're seeing all of this play out. People addicted to opioids. I mean, a lot of these communities are are have been transformed by technology in yeah. a negative way. And so they look to Trump and he says, like, this has all been caused by immigration. And that's it. We're going to build a wall and we're going to fix it. People are like, okay, well, good. Like, <laughs> finally, like, let's... He gets me. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's a... It's a... It's a simple solution that covers all the problems. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's offered. That's what he has offered. And the uh, these ideologues who have uh, backed him up since the very beginning, they... They see that as the truth, that immigration really is the cause of these problems. And the country would be better off not having outsiders come in. If, if it's only 37% of people who are like that, how does he win re-election? Well, because he represents interests that are outside of that, too. Like, he can balance both. I mean, But he, he's consistently not had their support. Well, no, I mean, he has the support of the wealthy elite who want to see their tax cuts. But can they convince more than the 37% to vote for him? What do you mean? Like, can they... They don't represent a very big voting bloc no, themselves. No, no, no. Well, well yes. But, I mean, he has, think of how much money his campaign has. I know. It's insane. I forget what the number is, but... The last one was like 125 million or something. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, he's taken care of in that. But, and then it just comes down to, like, I mean, who's going to run the better campaign? I mean, who's going to be able to sell the the solution and i really hope like but, I, I know we always come back to warren on this but like i hope her strategy wins the day but i i don't know if it will there is no in my opinion genuinely yeah. there are very few policy based voters this time or even party based when it comes to president we're not we don't even share reality anymore it's trump or not trump yeah you go in there and you're voting it should say Trump question mark, yes or no. <laughs> you know? But that, I mean, we don't even, the world that we see is what a complete. What world is that? <laughs> I'd like to know. <laughs> Wouldn't we but, all? But the world of the Trump voter, I mean, think about how different that is of the average, like, college liberal or the, you know, 
coastal liberal experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because to them, to them, their guy that they elected is under attack by the, like, the deep state, yeah. essentially, and the Democrats, and they're trying to take him down, and... The it, Pizzagate people. Well, yeah, like, the yeah. conspiratorial crowd. They, they're convinced that everything that Trump... Every roadblock to Trump is a conspiracy to take him down. Yeah. And that it's been that way since the very beginning. Yeah. And to them, it doesn't matter what investigation it is. It doesn't matter if it's the Russian investigation, Ukraine. Like, it's all a conspiracy against him. And those are the ideologues. What do you know what I mean? Like, as it moves online, it rewards like clicks clickbait rather than quality yeah clickbait yeah but like mainstream news does clickbait mhm it is it's not as dramatic or straight to the point but like they just they appeal to the audience yeah Rachel Maddow is a queen at that yeah like at the beginning of her episodes, she's always like, we're going to take down Trump tonight on this episode. And then she, like, gets more and more dramatic throughout the episode. And then, like, yeah. it's a nothing burger. Not a nothing burger. She, like, there's plenty there. Mm-hmm. But, like, we're not any closer <laughs> yeah. to ending this. Yeah. And on the flip side of that would be, like, Tucker Carlson on the right. I mean, he's just a, he's a personality. <laughs> okay, I, I noticed a feature today on my Facebook app, uh-huh. and it is all of my local news, and, like, a main tab. When you open the Facebook app, like, look, I click here, Yeah. in the news, recent articles from local publications, there's no specific, like, criteria for what appears, and I'm just like, why, like, Facebook is not my news app. Why is Facebook, like, people do, my theory here is that Facebook is knows that they are the primary source of news for people. Mm-hmm. And now they're just being straight to the point about it. Yeah. And they can control what's on that feed. Well, yeah, and it's the same thing with Twitter, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the a lot of the news, like, sometimes I'll see someone, po- like, tweet something about news and to see whether or not that's, like, actually relevant like, I'll see if it's trending. Yeah. Like, to see if that... Because people... Like, people make... Cre- like, create outrage about everything. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to know what's actually, like, seriously meaningful and what's not. Um, so I often, like, seeing what, what's trending, like, what people are talking about, is a, is a good indicator of that. Not all the time, because often it's, like, manufactured outrage just collectively but yeah um doesn't that scare you though that yeah like between twitter and facebook that is mainstream media 
Like, that is where a majority of people are consuming information. And they can say the algorithm is quote-unquote random, and, like, but it's not. Like, there is, uh almost like there's like machine learning behind it like they had yeah. they get to write an algorithm for what kind of information to feed you yeah and the fact that there's any control over that so that i mean that's the issue is that because they have to impose certain controls on what i mean they're they're they have to adhere to the market demands of knowing their audience for like advertising but all of that information, like they're, oh man. <laughs> Can I just really quickly point out, remember how we had an hour and 16 minute episode? Yeah. And at the end, we shouted out Jackson and said, yeah. if anybody's still listening, yeah. that means you, Jackson. Yeah. He texted me and said, thanks for the shout out. Oh. He actually listened. Shout out to Jackson. He listens to the whole episodes. Okay, but anyways, um... Like, when you go on Twitter and you go to the trending tab now, if you notice, you aren't getting the, like, trending tab. You're getting the trending the for you. The manufactured one, yeah. You're getting this for you. Yeah. Like, they couldn't be more straightforward yeah. about it. They are feeding you. They have written an algorithm that It's your whole you. world of you. It ends up being where you get all your information. So, it's a worldview that is catered to you the more and time you spend on social media the more that's making us the more divided gets. oh god because our entire worldview is becoming personalized we're fucked people <laughs> there's no undoing it we can't unlearn the machine learning that is facebook and twi- twitter algorithms they're huge databases that can that that know people's lives but it's not just social media Think yeah about google results yeah. That's, uh, you know, we don't... Amazon? Talk, mm, Amazon. Everything. Huge, yeah. Ugh. I mean, th- what what doesn't Amazon know about us? Yeah. They're openly recording us. Like, <laughs> and it's funny, because we all, like, it was all, like, a, a myth at first. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, there's no denying it now. And everyone yeah. just... Everyone's like, well, I love well, Amazon, so I don't give a shit. I have an echo in every room it's of the, the house, thing. you know? Dude... All that it takes is for the technology to be worth it for us, mm-hmm. and or or at least seem worth it. Like the the iPhone is so convenient and so integral oh, to our we lives, though, about that this. we are willing to carry it around with the microphones wide open, uh, you, you know, like carry it around all day and give it all of our data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, so willingly. Think about every aspect of our life that has been replaced or reinforced by our mobile devices i mean like you can have your credit card stored on it now um you know you use it for your gps like everywhere you're going i mean just every aspect like social life and it's replaced the computer for a majority of people yeah. mm-hmm. they bang shopping on it, they shop on it yep everything and it's so willingly yeah because it's so convenient but I, and we were talking about this before the show that um, I want to say that the dependence on our mobile devices has shown such exponential growth in like the just the past four years yeah. even. It has skyrocketed to where like we're so enamored by it that we don't even like 
talk about that anymore. Like, screen time. Like, we're just willing to accept it. Yeah. You spend six hours a day. But I think that's, like, evidence that... Because I think that's coinciding with other tasks being automated. Like, one happens to be, like, labor tasks, and the other is, like, mental yeah. tasks that we do, like d- like direction, navigation, uh, all that stuff. We're, rep- we're slowly replacing that with automated devices through our phones or our, you know, computers, whatever. And, you know, I, I think that the- both of those things are riding the same trend line towards just the human mind not being as uh as valuable as some of these devices yeah it's almost like we were never able to um to decode the human mind and like once the technology Mm -hmm. perfectly decodes it like we have pieces now and like we're starting to understand it but once something fully decodes it where do we go from there yeah I don't know. <laughs> I have no don't idea. We, don't we technically, from there, this is getting really, like, I don't even know if I understand what I'm about to say, like, but doesn't, <laughs> don't we then gain the ability to predict outcomes before they happen? I don't know. I don't know if you could do that by just decoding the human mind. In some way, you'd have to decode the, like, whole universe. No, but I mean... Like, human outcomes. Maybe. I mean... Like, what's going to happen in an election? Like... Oh, yeah. Like, that well, sort I mean, of thing. I think we're already seeing that. We're getting there. Well, because the, the... I mean, the amount of data that is available about individuals, you basically can predict how the, they will, as a population, yeah. behave. And in politics, that's been used, you know, I mean, we know how often that's used with redistricting, yeah. for example. And, and if you see some of these gerrymandered districts, like, you should really just do, like, a Google search, like, gerrymandered, most gerrymandered districts. Or and the shapes of them are Wait. absolutely insane. There's a font. Someone made a font <laughs> that they have an A, B, C, D, E, F, yeah. for, and they're made of gerrymandered districts. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll send it to you. Oh, that's beautiful. It's hilarious. Oh, um, man. But, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And think about, like, like Cambridge Analytica. Like, yeah. those companies consume, consume, consume data. Right. And, and they take advantage of everyone. Yep. It is a, like, service that we are somehow, like, the victims of, but we don't, like, subscribe to it at all. Yeah, well, it's something that they benefit from us. Yeah. And we don't get any, you know... It's just kind of, like, taken. We don't get stipends from it. Like, <laughs> these yeah. companies are profiting off, off of these <laughs> our data, and yeah. we don't get to see the, any stipends yeah. from that. Oh, wow, that's some deep, like, policy idea. Of, like, do we Can we assign a value to our data? Well, that's actually something Andrew Yang has talked really? about. Really? Yeah. Wait, I think I just got an email today. Like, a really? fundraising email that was, like... Oh, really? Yeah, about that. Interesting. We'll tweet it on the account. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's it's so counterintuitive to think that data could be worth something. Mm-hmm. Because to an individual, it's like, yeah, like I'm just like, you know, my email address or like whatever, like what what is that worth? 
Mm-hmm. But like as an aggregate, when you link the email address to what's what they're signing up for, mm-hmm. what they're purchasing, what they're purchasing, and then it, you know, and then it just slowly you let in all these other aspects of your life, and then you put that up across the entire population. I mean, then that that aggregate data being able to target specific audiences for certain products, like all of that is extremely valuable. Yeah. So it's it's the system of of all of that that becomes worth a ton of money. But on an individual level, like you, you it's just it just doesn't seem that way. Like on the contrary, it is their intellectual capacity that developed the algorithms to understand us that consumed that data. So like part of me wants to say it is then their product and that we we own no part of that even though it's about us they we put it out as as a commodity that we like willingly gave out but now we're, but now we're living in an age where when it comes to the information that we see online and you know if that's our main source of information and it's being targeted towards us it doesn't that, that I think that poses a serious problem for society. <laughs> when you word it like that. <laughs> but do you get what I'm saying though? No, like, I, I understand what you're saying. But but the the thing is it's not just that it, we're becoming dependent on those companies and those devices. And so that's where I think it becomes a problem. I, I don't mind it, like the, the science existing and them being able to use that to, but the fact that we are so dependent on that while they get to reap all the You're benefits. You're trying to rewrite our DNA though. Like we are drawn to things that make our life better. Of course. Yeah. They did it. Like Apple did it. Why don't they get to reap the reward of that? Well, <laughs> well, if it negatively affects uh, like, like society as a whole, then I think that's an issue. Because I mean, think about it. Like, think about how I mean, honestly, how polarized are are we because of social media? I honestly don't know. That's a tough question for me because I believe like. Everyone always thinks they're the most polarized, mm-hmm. right? Is there ever a time people are just like, oh, yeah, everyone's all... I agree with my Republican next-door neighbor. Not really. And, like, I get polarization is definitely a thing, but, like, I just think it's hard to, like, quantify. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's times when the country feels unified, but that's usually in the wake of like a tragedy or something. Yeah. But, yeah, I, it's kind of hard to gauge where we are right now mm-hmm. just because of how strange of a time it is. Uh, I guess the best way to put my opinion on it is I believe polarization is better looked at in the past, mm-hmm. like analyzing mm-hmm. relative to the present. Like, I think it's hard to judge polarization right now. Yeah, because what do you compare it to? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we have to, like, start feeling more unified before we can say that, like, we weren't unified. 
Yeah. Um, but I mean, think of the think about the influence that I mean. I don't know how much you buy into this, but I think it's pretty well accepted at this point that I mean, these ro- Russian bot accounts, mm. inf- like, were meant to influence the election in favor yeah. of Trump, and they would target. They would. It, it was, you know, campaigns of these bots that would go in and try to promote divisive discourse on these platforms. And it was successful in many ways. Um, Two things, like, for one, it's crazy that that is such a black and white reality and we haven't done anything about it. Yeah. We've told the private sector to act on it, but, like, we haven't done anything about it. Um, Which promotes, like, an ethical question of, like, what is... Uh, the rules of engagement on, like, a cyber attack. Like, how do we establish, like, uh, countermeasures? Right. It's a whole new playbook that we're still in the very early stages of. Yeah. Um, Second, it's so prevalent right now. I think it's what's happening in Bolivia. Is it Bolivia? The coup? Have you heard about that at all? Yeah. Um... Lee Carter is an openly Democratic Socialist delegate in Virginia. Bernie campaigned for him right before the election. And, and he, it was like a like a moderate district, and he ran as an openly Democratic Socialist, which was kind of cool to me. But anyways, he he's very, like, vocal on issues like that. And you could clearly, he was, like, screenshotting and pointing out the specific bots who, like, replied to him, and they were so clearly bots. Yeah. It was, like, accounts I hadn't tweeted for, like, four years and then tweeted 26 times in the past 24 hours. Yeah. And what do you do about it? Yeah, especially since, I mean, these... A lot of these campaigns, too, are pretty sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Like, more, I, more than is credited, I think. And they're specifically targeting like divisive issues in America. And I mean like and the, these can honestly swing like the the discourse of the day. Mhm. I mean if something gets trending and then it gets, you know, yeah. It gets a you know just wave of excitement behind it. It then suddenly becomes like the the issue. What concerns me about this is the low barriers of entry. Like, it doesn't take much of a, much sophistication to build an effective operation. Russia, you know, there are, like, public reports about, like, the level of sophistication of their operation. It was not a sophisticated operation. Yeah. And they were able to do that. And I think it was, like, considered, like, the beta test, and it just worked really well, right? And so, like, for one, shouldn't that scare us of, like, copycats? Like, like, we've all very publicly displayed how to exploit the system, and it's still just as exploitable. But hasn't, I mean, the United States has done that as well. I mean, it's exploited that system. And I think other countries are catching on to that. Have we? Right? 
I, I, I mean, I, that's what I've heard. Yeah, no, I'm not as um, hip to it, I guess. We should look into that some more. But uh, Send me some articles. All right. But... You know, I mean, this is a this is a thing that's been around, uh, and it's. I think it's going to obviously continue and perhaps become more sophisticated as well. And I mean, you know, the way we interact with information online ultimately, like either the platforms have to change, or the way we interact with that information has to change, because. Either we're going to, when we access that information, have a certain standard of inability to decipher whether or not it's real or not, <laughs> or it'll just be a free-for-all in which you just don't even know, you know, what's real or what's not because it's just so, like, targeted or, you know outrage generating so there's it's a real crossroads do we get to a point that like the, the content's so perfectly tailored that like the propaganda can trick any of us you know i mean i see that as a real possibility especially if i mean we were talking about how we're all becoming more isolated mm -hmm. i mean if people are talking to each other less and less and interacting with people outside of their bubble less and less, then it could very well be that just the, our sense of reality will be so curtailed to us that, you know, it, it, it will literally just be a, a bubble of, you know, your own, your own world. Yeah. Hey, maybe I'm being dramatic, and I, I don't even know why I'm vocalizing this on the podcast, but I can't help but think, and I've thought about this a lot, like, did we undergo such major societal transitions in such a small period of time, whether technologically, technologically through smartphones, uh, advanced internet stuff, like, uh, economic with just, like, the globalism, basically, political, first African-American president... Major racial divides exacerbated, and then the election of a you know hyper populist so-called conservative president. Major political changes, uh, and and just social overall, like the the very major separation from religion in recent years, um, all these things, and military, you know, nine eleven. Uh, terrorist attacks all across the, the globe. So many things have happened in the past 20 years that I can't help but think we are... We choose. Everyone. Everyone chooses to just be, like, ignorant of it. Like, it's happening at such a rapid rate right now that we just don't know how to process it, so we just keep acting like reality's fine right now. And maybe I'm being dramatic. Like, maybe that's just the way things go. But, like, I feel like what we're undergoing right now is so transformational that we just don't know how to process it properly. And there are some things that are just so beyond our imagination. Like, I think of climate change as yeah. one of those things. It's just so beyond our imagination mm -hmm. when it comes to the present moment that we just, it's impossible to rationalize yeah. and care about without an understanding of the actual 
phenomenon that's going on. Yeah. And I mean, these are complicated issues, all of them. And not, I mean, people just don't have time to like really sit down and like understand them. Yeah. So that comes back to what we were talking about though, with like clickbait yeah. media is like the issues that we need to be talking about cannot be portrayed properly in that sort of media. Like they can't survive it. But like what's going on like at the White House, like that fun stuff. So that was a really bad way of putting it, but like like the top level clickbait stuff. But but Lucas, look deeper in that. Like what what happens when we can't even decipher what our politicians are even actually saying? Like if deep fakes become the norm. Stop. And now we have like videos of Trump saying one thing that he didn't actually say and then an, and there's just videos spreading everywhere of like a whole array of things that hit that he said or Nancy Pelosi said or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would probably be the most deep faked person ever. Um, Damn it. Like what what happens when information literally becomes indistinguishable from what we're able to understand about the world that we're not having direct contact with eddie but like that's one of those things to me that like it's the realities that we're not capable of processing like i think a lot of us understand that that's like on the horizon somewhere but like i don't know what happens then because again we're so dependent on that as our main source of information media content like when we cross that threshold, we're we're already brainwashed at that point and dependent on it. We won't be able to decipher it. But what I'm worried about is how do you even prevent that from happening? It's too if late. If the technology's available out there, then there's no reason, like there's no way you can stop it. Yeah. You can you can make it illegal or whatever, but it's still going to be done, and like foreign countries are certainly going to use it. I mean, it's scary, and you can see that that technology is on the horizon. They've already done some very impressive, like quote unquote deep fakes of like famous people. Think about the national security threats that poses. Yeah, you know videos of you know, terrorists saying something or, or like oh fake communications of foreign leaders, fake hostage videos. Yeah. Like, oh God. I don't know how soon that's coming. Like, like mainstream. Probably sooner than we think. That's All one of these things. really deep questions that we're, we're kidding ourselves to even pretend to like be able to grasp. Like right. it might already be here and we don't even, Oh God. <laughs> We're, Don't say we're that. just so brainwashed to it. Maybe that's why the Trump people will just never abandon him. Maybe they're being fed just such... They are being fed such different content. But yeah, no, and I think that's the beginning of it. Yeah. I mean, they. it's a different world. Yeah. The, I mean, the people they follow on Twitter, the, you know, mm-hmm. the people they hang out with. It's, it's, a, it's a whole different world. Yeah. I think about the Pepe people. Yeah. The people who have Pepe as their Twitter avi. Yeah. Like, 
we probably follow very few people in common. They have their own weird hashtags and communities. Yep. And that goes back to a conversation we've had time and time again about these niche communities online. Mm. And once again, I now want to blame the technological changes we've undergone. It has connected so many people who shouldn't have been connected. Yeah. It's like, like with Charlottesville, what happened in Charlottesville? Yeah. I'm sure there's data linking Facebook and Twitter communities to the planet. Well, it, it makes it so easy to organize huge groups who are willing to come out and, you know, make a name for themselves. Yeah. yeah. There was, we were having a debate in class about breaking up big tech, and one of the main arguments from this one Republican kid in class was like, think about the social movements, both positive ones and negative ones, that have been fueled by social media. You can't belittle that. You yeah. can't. Like, yeah. And, and, I mean, that really shows that it is a double-edged uh, sword because you also have these like these awesome communities that have ar- arisen from social media. We good? What's going on here? Yeah. Oh. Um, like, okay, think about it like this. Like, social media got Trump elected, but it's mm. also how everything has unfolded, you know? Yeah. AOC. Double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this has been a heck of an episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Now it's the middle of the night and my laptop's dead. Oh, shit. Well, I guess we got to wrap it up. We do. Lucas? Go wonk yourself. Edward, go wonk yourself. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by Roger Stone. <laughs> <laughs> and Epstein didn't kill himself. 